This is the Oasis Church Podcast. We're located in Athens, Ohio, and we use this podcast feed to primarily post the messages from our Sunday morning church gatherings. If you enjoy this message or if you'd like to know more about Oasis Church, please reach out to us at oasisathens at gmail.com. You can also find us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. We look forward to hearing from you, and we hope that you enjoy this message from Oasis Church in Athens, Ohio. So if you have your Bible, turn to Luke chapter 2. And we're going to be in the first seven verses again today. So last week we looked at the first two impacts that the virgin birth of Jesus Christ has on the world, on you, on us, on all of us, on, uh, throughout history. And in fact, the first impact was historically. We looked at what actually happened. We looked at, we looked at the facts that Luke went out to investigate. Luke is uh, one who was uh, called upon by a man named Theophilus to go and investigate to see if the things people have said and the, the, the things that people have given their lives to were really true. And so Luke would come and speak with all of these different people that we encounter in these stories to try to make sure that, the, that for example, today's, today's study, that the virgin birth was real. That this is an accurate thing that Christians are teaching about. And so we looked at historically the impact that this event has had on the world. We looked at all the characters in place. We looked at Augustus Caesar. We looked at, at, uh, at, at Quirinius, the governor. We looked at Joseph and Mary and Jesus, of course, and all the people that show up in these seven verses here today. And then we talked about what it means theologically. So historically, basically, is this. Jesus is born. It happened. Theologically, it's this, that this is what it means that Jesus was born. This is what God is doing when he enters into human history. And so that's, I took quite a bit of time to look at those two things. Well, today we're going to look at the other two things. So I had four points last week. We just decided to break the sermon. I actually probably did two thirds of the sermon last week. I'm going to do one third today. So it's going to be a little shorter today, but it'll give us a chance to take some more time to respond in worship because that is in fact what we're talking about. That's one of the two points. Today we're going to look at the biographical impact, meaning by biographical, what I mean is, what does this mean for you? What does this story, what does this story of Christmas mean to you? What What should it mean for you, for each one of us here? What does it mean for me? What does it mean for us collectively as a people? What is it, what could it possibly have to do with our life? And then we're going to look at the doxological meaning, the doxological impact it has on us, which is very simply a fancy way of saying how it causes us to worship, what our response is. So let's, let's read again. Let's first read these, these seven verses, and then we'll, uh, we'll dig in. Because a lot can be said about both of these things. I'm just going to give you three really quick points about the biographical impact of the birth of Jesus. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria, and all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth, to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child." 
And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the inn. Now, I just want to read a handful of verses below this um, because they're, they're relevant. I'm not going to unpack these verses, but they're relevant for what we're talking about today. And what does this mean for people and what is our response? And so verse 8 says, in the same region, in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them and the glory of the Lord shone around them and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, fear not. For behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. So who is this for? All the people. That's the biographical impact it has. It is for all of us. Every single one of us sitting here, every single one of you watching online, every single person that isn't participating, this good news of great joy is for all. And then he says this, or the angel, I don't know if it was a male angel or female angel, I guess it was. What verse am I on? Thank you. For unto you in, is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You'll find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God. And saying, glory to God in the highest, and on earth, peace among those with whom he is pleased. So let's pray. God, we thank you for giving us these words that I'm sure are very familiar to uh, many people in the room today. Probably all of us. Lord, we've probably heard these words read. We've probably... And we've watched the, the, the Charlie Brown special. We've heard Linus read it. We know, we know the, the, the story of the, of the virgin birth. My prayer today is that we would be able to move beyond information and that it would become transformation. Lord, it would, it would have its intended impact in our lives that we would understand, not just understand, but that we would give ourselves to this that we would give ourselves to this, that we would take ownership, that we would soak it in, that we would allow it to change us. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So biographically, what does this story mean to us? What impact does it have on the world, on all the people? Biographically, meaning how has it become part of your story? What is it? What, how does Jesus, how has Jesus become part of your life? Well, I think there are three ideas that I'd like to draw out of this that helps us to make this part of our life. And the first white idea is this. It shows us Jesus is like us. I mean, it shows us, you know, Jesus is like us, which means this is how one of the ways that it changes our life and our perspective. He understands. What I mean by he is like us is he gets it. He's been there. He knows. How do we know that this is true? Well, one is he was born into this world that he created. But also the Hebrew writer says in Hebrews chapter 4, verses 15 and 16, that we do not have a high priest that is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, with all the areas in which we are weak. But we have one who in every aspect has been tempted he has been tempted in every possible way. He, has, he was able to do that, and yet he was without sin, the Hebrew writer says. And so then he says, let us with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. 
So this is of such great comfort. Jesus is like us in so many ways. John Stott, a British theologian, once said, in a world filled with suffering and pain, I cannot fathom worshiping a God who was immune to it. See, in other religions, the concept of God is that he's transcendent, period. Meaning he's really far away. And so the life of, of sin and sinners on earth, this problem, this mess that we have, is something that's very recognizable. It's a mess, and it's really uncomfortable, and it's painful, and it's deplorable. So you know, maybe, hopefully, this God that we worship somewhere that doesn't come become personal, maybe he'll send some angel or he'll drop some commands, but he's certainly not going to come down and get involved. But this is the story of incarnation. He did. He, he did. God did. And his name is Jesus. So what this means is that none of us can look at Jesus and say, hey, Jesus, you don't understand. God, you, you don't understand what it is to grow up, to be a teenager in this world. You don't, have, you don't, know what, you don't understand what it feels like to have your family turn your back on you, to have your friends all betray you. You don't know what it's like to work a dead-end job. You don't know what it's like to be homeless. You don't know what it's like to, to be poor. You don't know what it's like to be in need. You don't know what it's like to be mocked, to be lied to, to be lied about, to be beaten, to have gossips to spread about you. You don't know what it's like to be ashamed, to suffer, to die. Jesus would actually say, I do. I, I'm your high priest that can sympathize with all of that. See, the high priest, the high priest in the Old Testament was a holy man. He was a mediator between God and his people. People would bring their sacrifices, which would, which would re represent their sins, to, to this mediator, and this mediator would pray on their behalf and offer that sacrifice to God. Jesus, the Hebrew writer says, is our great high priest, our final high priest. One of the great themes of Hebrews is this idea of priesthood and, great, and Jesus being our great high priest. There is no longer that's why we don't have a priesthood anymore. Or that we shouldn't. We don't, we, don't, we don't need a high priest. He's the only one we need. And so he says he can sympathize. He's been there. So what that means is, what does it mean? I mean, what is it? Biographically then, I mean, we're going to get right into what it means to us today. We're going jumping right to the application part. What does it mean? It means when you're suffering, talk to Jesus. When you're hurting, talk to Jesus. When you're struggling, talk to Jesus. If you're tempted to sin, talk to Jesus. We have a God, see, who, unlike any other concept of God, he gets it. He gets it. He understands it. He understands all of the things that you experience. Unlike the spiritual force of pantheism and panentheism that's just out there that, that I mean, we can all connect to, we actually have a real God with a real name and a real face, and it's Jesus. That's what Christmas is. What he says is that we can run to him anytime we need to, and he gives grace, and he sympathizes with us, and he understands us. And so that's the first idea. That's the first impact biographically that it has on you, on your life, is that you can know with confidence Jesus is like you. And here's the second point. Jesus is unlike you. He's unlike us, right? So the first comfort is Jesus is like us, right? He can sympathize. That's good. It means he understands. But if he was only like us, that in and of itself would not be very helpful. 
right? Because we have friends that are like us, <laughs> don't we? I mean, you, you have friends that are like, dude, I totally understand. I feel your pain. Cool. What are you going to do about it? Well, there's not much I can do about it. I mean, you're kind of on your own because I, I sympathize. I can even empathize. I struggle with the same things, right? But I'm, that means I'm equally unable to affect any change in your life. I can just sympathize. That's it. You see, Jesus is encouraging to us because he's like us. But he's also encouraging because he's unlike us. Think about that. He is unlike us. The Hebrew writer also says in Hebrews chapter 7, verses 26 and 27, he says again, We have such a great high priest, holy, innocent, unstained, separated from sinners, and exalted above the heavens. So that's, that's, where, that's where he is at today. That's where when we sing and we talk about praising Jesus, that's the Jesus that I'm picturing in my mind is the one reigning and ruling today. And the Hebrew writer says, he goes on to say, he has no need like those other high priests to offer sacrifices daily for his own sins. This is how Jesus is very much unlike us. This is how he is different. He never sinned. He never, when he was tempted, so we, we, we saw earlier, he was like us in the fact that he was tempted in every possible way, but he was unlike us because he never sinned. That's what it says. And you're going to see it later in Luke also that when he was tempted, did he sin? I mean, you, you, you know the story probably, right? Satan comes to him to tempt him three times. Did he sin? No. This is where he's different than us. Every single time he was tempted, he remained holy. He said yes to the will of the Father and no to the temptation of whatever it was the world was trying to throw at him. So what this means is this. So here we go. Again, what does this mean to you? Biographically, what does this say to you? Here's what it says. When we're tempted to sin, we can run to Jesus and we can say, Jesus, how do I get around this? And Jesus can say, I know how to get around it. Because I was able to avoid it. And when we do sin, let's say we don't get around it. Let's say we stumble and we fall. We can go to Jesus. And what Jesus doesn't do is like some of our friends say, hey, dude, nobody's perfect. I understand. I did the same thing. I'm no better than you. In fact, let's do it together next time. Right? That's not what Jesus responds. Jesus instead says, I said no to that sin. And I died for your sin. And I'm going to forgive you. And I'm going to give you grace. And I'm going to get you out of the mess that you're in. And I'm going to change your whole life so that you can not do that and get in, in, anymore. So that you can be able to turn from that and not have to do it again and again and again. That's what Jesus does. That's what being unlike us accomplishes for us. He changes us. He changes people. He's unlike us. He has to be unlike us to be able to change us, to affect us and transform us in so many ways. Jesus lived the life that we should have lived, but we did not. We haven't. And he died the death that we should die, but we won't if our faith is in him. Third thing is this. So all of the historical things that took place, what happened, and the theology of it, what it means, and the biographical, you know, do you believe, you know, do you believe that this is actually going to change your life, right? Because it's one thing to know it, to, to know the history, to know the facts, and then to understand it, to understand, to see, okay, this is what God's doing. But then what we're getting into now is how, how is this changing me? So this is the third thing, the third idea about Jesus's, the, the biographical portion of this, and that is this. Have you connected with Jesus in such a way that 
you are becoming like him. Because that's the third thing that Jesus does, is he comes to make us like him. So Jesus is like us in that he was fully human. And Jesus is like us, unlike us in that he was without sin while he was on this earth, while he was being tempted while here. And he's without sin to this day. He is perfect. And then the third thing is he came to make us like him, to take away our sin, to give us his righteousness, to take away our condemnation to give us his salvation, to take away our separation from God. That is, his, that, that, is, that is the purpose of coming, to make the bridge so that we can get back to reconciliation with the Father again. This is what Paul says in 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 5. He says, For there is one God, and there is one mediator between God and men, the man Jesus Christ. So there are not multiple gods. There's one God. There are not multiple ways to God. There is one way to God, the man Jesus Christ. This is Paul's way of saying the same thing Jesus says in John chapter uh, 6 or 14, verse 6, when Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one gets to the Father but by me. It's not about morality. It's not about spirituality. It's not about go doing good things, being reincarnated, trying harder, doing better. It's just all about Jesus. That's all it's about. And that's what, that's the whole point of everything that we do. It's the, it's, it is, it's it. Since the day we planted Oasis Church, until the day Christ returns, as long as we remain a local body of believers, wherever we happen to meet, you're going to hear it all the time. It's all about Jesus. You need Jesus. He is your mediator. You don't rise up to God. God descends down to you. That's what Christmas is. It's, it's, it's not about, because see, everything else is pride. Everything else is about what we do. And, it's, and it, it's about what we can do to become more like him. But Jesus is the one that makes you more like him. It's about what he does to make us acceptable in the sight of the Father. It's not about who we are. It's about who he is, which is why we go to such great lengths every Sunday, sometimes for an hour long. I realized that for the last few weeks, it's been over about an hour long, to talk about him, to magnify him, to study him, to dig into him, to put all of our focus on him, not us. And honestly, to be really honest, it's probably uh, the reason why there's never really been much hubbub about Oasis Church in the public eye. I mean, just because it's never about Oasis. It's just always about Jesus. And that's, and that's, and that's my prayer is that we'll always remain that way. So how does all of this work together? I mean, think about this. Isn't this an amazing story? I mean, isn't Christmas amazing? I mean, look at what Jesus did. Historical. He was born in Bethlehem to a virgin named Mary. He, the theological, the incarnation, what it means, God, it means God is with us. Biographically, what, you know, we believe this by faith and we're reconciled to the Father and we're connected to, to the life that God desires for us to have. And we can have that through Jesus, through putting faith in Jesus. He takes away our sins and he gives us eternal life and he begins our resurrection, which is guaranteed in the end. So all of this, all of this culminates in the fourth major impact of the virgin birth. And that is what we call the doxology of it. The doxological impact, which is worship. And what that simply means is we get excited about Jesus. We love Jesus. 
We want other people to meet Jesus. We want to live like Jesus, through Jesus, for Jesus, to Jesus, and everything works itself out in this thing we call worship. And I'm gonna break it into two parts, all right? Adoration and action. So adoration is praise. It's, it's giving thanks. It's, it's in whatever way you do it. And we like to do it through singing. But it's, it's, it's a lot of things. It's prayer. It's trust. It's enjoyment. It's, just, it's spending time with. And it's just loving the person and the work of Jesus. And what we can do, we can do that individually. We can do it corporately. Individually, we can do it through moments of just spirit-filled joy in our lives. Whatever it is that you're doing, you can recognize this truth and just love Jesus through it. And it really transforms anything that you're doing, a mundane task that you don't necessarily like to do. You know what? When you're adoring Jesus during it, it transforms a mundane task to make it something that is, fills you with joy because it's not the task that you're focused on. It's the Lord that you love, that you're adoring, that you're praising, that you're worshiping. And we can also do this corporately like we do here today where we celebrate with songs and we, we sit under the preaching of God's word and we, we celebrate all of this together at the end with communion and, and, you know, and, and recognizing Christ's body and his blood shed for us, his, his incarnation for our atonement. And we celebrate all of that during communion. It's all adoration. We sing to Jesus because he is on high he is exalted. He's worthy of all of our praise and to see our gladness in him. He's worthy to see that. And so we want to show him how glad we are in him. So it's adoration. It's, it, that, is, that is adoration. That's what it means to adore him. And we sing, oh, come, let us adore him. That's what it means. That's the aspect of worship. But the second thing is this. It's action. You see, there's always been this weird, there's always been a, sort of a weird notion in many religions, in, including Christianity, where the, that the holiest, the holiest, what has appeared to be the holiest men and women are the most disconnected and separated. Think about that. Like monks, where do they live? <laughs> in temples. And, you know, people live in caves and retreat centers or convents, and they separate themselves from people, right? No televisions, because we don't want to see the evil in the world. No music. You don't want to hear the evil in the world. No traveling. You don't want to participate in the evil in the world, right? So live separated. Live far away from everyone and everything. Completely guard your, your piety and your holiness. Don't be stained by the dark, evil, world, sinful, fallen, corrupted world. And you see people like that in every religion. They'll even dress in such a way that you kind of know that they're the holy ones, right? Jesus isn't that way. That's not, that's not Jesus. Jesus gets in it. He comes to the world. He comes to the culture. He comes to the sinners, to the pain, to the hardship, to the idolatry. He goes to the demon-possessed and to the outcast and to the poor, to the marginalized, to the fornicators, to the adulterers, to the alcoholics, to the abusers, to the proud, to the arrogant, to the rich. He goes to all of them. He gets in it. He's not a God who stands back and says, oh, I don't want to get involved in all that. If I did, I might have to really see what sin does, right? This could be a lot of work for me. Jesus gets right in the thick of it. He enters in. That's what Christmas is. He gets in it. And so part of our adoration of Jesus, our worship, part of our worship of Jesus is adoration. It's, it's, it's the praise aspect, the celebration aspect. But it's also action. 
It's also, you know, by the Holy Spirit's enablement, following the actions of Jesus. So it's seeing what Jesus did and where he went and how he spoke to people and, and the way he interacted. And it's why we, we love justice. We don't just love and adore Jesus, but we love who Jesus is and what Jesus does. So that means we love justice and mercy and generosity and truthfulness. And we love concern for the poor and the marginalized. It's the reason why we do good works in this world. It's the reason why we want to serve in this world. It's why, you know, we, it's why we want to go into the world and love and pray and speak and we, and we care. And it's not, you know, so that we be, it's not, it's not for the reason of being acceptable in God's sight. We're not acceptable by any of those things. Jesus has already made us acceptable in God's sight. He is Emmanuel, God with us. And by, by his grace, by Emmanuel in us, it's the life of Christ through us that we want to show the world that we live. We want to show the world the love of Christ by doing what he did. And that's the kind of life that can only be done, it can only be lived, if we don't separate ourselves from the world totally. And nor is it one that we enter into the world and participate with all the sin and folly, because Jesus didn't do that either. Jesus entered into the world to be a redemptive agent for the world on behalf of the kingdom of God, to be a conduit through which the love and the grace of God flows to the world. And so what Jesus does is he comes to do that for us as well. Hey, look, worship me, adore me, sing to me, love me. And how do you do that? Put it into action. Give it to somebody else. That's what it means. That's simply what it means to be a Christian. That's what it means. It's what it means. A Christian is a missionary. It's what it means to be a missionary. We don't talk a lot about being a missionary. It's the same thing. Being a Christian means that you have signed up for mission work. And that mission work includes doing all of those things that Jesus did. It's action. You see, Jesus didn't come into this world and go into the woods and read books about the end times and just wait till it was all over, right? He got involved. And it cost him his life. He gave it all. And we enjoy all the benefits. And so we adore him, and we also have action, which means we just simply live for him in the public, in the public eye. So, like I said, I'm going to conclude now. Yeah. And the reason why I'm stopping here is because it's one thing to talk about and adore Jesus. It's another thing to just take a little extra time and just do it and respond. I want to leave us a little bit extra time to respond uh, since we've focused on this doxological impact of Jesus' birth, and I figured it might be good to take some extra time to just adore him and worship and praise and then respond to seeing him revealed in God's word. When you see Jesus revealed in God's word and he begins to reveal himself in your head and in your heart, the, the, there's always a, word, a call to respond. There's always a call to respond because then you have to be faced with the truth of what, do, what does this mean to you? What are you going to do with this now? What are you going to do with this now? And so I'm going to pray and then we're going to worship. All right, We're going to continue to sing. And as we worship, just you take some time to consider what your response to Jesus is. Consider the fact that that one of the reasons he came into this world is to help you be more like him, right? That's why we gather together. It's why we preach the word of God. It's why we do everything we do, so that we are able to encounter this man who is God 
And we were able to surrender our lives to him and spend the rest of our days being transformed by him. You see, those last two points, these these last two impacts, the biographical impact, what it means to you, and the doxological impact, how are you going to respond, that's what it's all about. Those two things are transformative. It's about transformation, not just information. The history, last week, I I really enjoyed last week because I enjoy that background stuff. The history and the theology, I really love getting into that. That's great, but that's information. And information isn't isn't what gets you into eternal life with Christ. It's your biography, your doxology, your story, and your worship. That's what matters. That's where the rubber meets the road. Where you stand with Jesus is what really matters. And so let's take a few minutes today and just respond to Jesus. Just talk to him, right? Just as we begin to sing here, just just take some time to talk with him yourself personally. During these songs, just pray. Just tell him how you're feeling, right? Give Give him everything. If you brought concern in here today, give him your concern. If you're worried about something, give him your worry. Just give him your heart. Give him your life. I would love to tell you that we would, you know, people would come and pray with you if you would desire that. Um, and, uh, you know, we live in a strange time where, where people are concerned about getting up close with somebody really um, for a long time. And I get that. So just if you want someone to pray for you, ask them to. Just both of you put masks on and do it. All right. But you can pray. You can talk to Christ right where you're at. You can get up and go somewhere else if you want. Just where you just want to be with him by yourself. So just give him your heart right now today. Some of you may be just like, you know what? I need to give him my life right now. I need to give him my life right here and today. This one who came on Christmas. But what an incredible Christmas gift that you would receive Jesus. And then sometime during the next couple of songs that we sing, just get up whenever you're ready, when your heart is prepared and, and go and partake of communion, which is a symbolic reminder of how we are able to be reconciled with God. Through Jesus' death on the cross and his resurrection, we are made free from sin and from death and given the gift of eternal life, forgiven of all of that. So let's pray together and we'll respond to God in worship and adoration. And we'll ask him what he wants us to do, what kind of action we need to take today. God, right now we come to you and we desire to know exactly in what way you want us to respond today. What is it you're calling us to do? What action are you calling me to take today? As one who has heard the historical facts about Jesus, what it means, what it is that you were doing in all of that. Now, Lord, I'm faced with the question, what does it mean to me? And here in a minute, I'm going to be faced with the reality that if it truly means what I think it means, then I need to respond. I need to adore him. I need to sing of his love and then go out and share that love with others. So right now we respond, Lord Jesus.